0: All right, here we are live with episode 12 of Living the Guide Life here with Chance Pratt. And today we have Cameron Coates, just a beast from British Columbia, talking about billy goat hunting and chasing the Grand Slam for rams. He's got some awesome stories to tell about trout fishing all the way down to 75 feet deep of water. Which is pretty crazy on a fly. So I hope you guys. <laughs> All right, we are live with episode twelve of living the guide life. And we are here with Cameron Coates, born and raised in British Columbia, and just a hunting guru. Um, how's it going, brother? It's going good, it's
1: crazy weather.
0: Oh yeah, what's it looking like up there for weather this time of year?
1: Oh, well, well, normally it's nice and sunny and clear and we're fishing every day, but right now we've we've had like two days of sun and probably two weeks of rain. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Does it
0: rain a lot up there?
1: Uh, occasionally. Not in the summertime. You get, you know, little little spurts here and there, but it's been unreal. Yeah. The water levels are crazy high, and most of our lakes and rivers that we fish are almost unfishable with how high the water is.
0: Oh, wow. And what are you guys mainly chasing for fish up there?
1: Uh, wild rainbow trout, Uh, wild bull trout. We have lots of stocked lakes okay. um, So we have A bunch of different uh, Breeds of fish You could say That are stocked into our lakes Yeah, And then pretty much every wild fish You could think of Except we don't have a lot of the The bass right in my area and You know pike and stuff yeah. That's in the southern part of BC Okay, But uh, up here Lots of trout
0: Yeah and are you fishing like mainly rivers Or lakes
1: uh we do a lot of river fishing. I'm I prefer the still waters, the tiny Really smaller little lakes that are uh not flowing. We get to fit fly fish lots of insect patterns and yeah. I try to target larger fish on them.
2: Huh.
0: I've never fly fished for trout on a lake. So are they like up in North. are they up in like the shallow water or what's kinda how do you fly fish for yeah. them?
1: They uh It depends. We can find them sometimes in 60, 70 feet of water, depending on the lake. But then also sometimes we're fishing them in four feet of water. depends on the, on the season and the temperature of the water and what's hatching.
0: Jeez. And how do you fish for them when they're like 60 or 70 feet?
1: So in the early season this year, we're fishing a, a lake close, close by and we were fishing for them in about 10 feet of water. And, uh, the fishing kind of slowed down it was hot all day we caught like 20 fish and yeah. then we I noticed that there was a bunch of swallows out deep and they were just grazing the surface which means that there's bugs hatching there Okay. so I motored over there you know checked the depth and it was over 70 feet so we anchored <laughs> down I had 100 feet foot of anchors we have one on the front one on the back it stops the boat from spinning in the wind yeah and, uh, what, what was hatching is a chronomid, which is like a mosquito larvae. Okay. Very, very similar. Just they don't, they don't suck blood and yeah. they, they look a little different. They have a different number of ribs body segments. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, so we, we figured that they were, you know, hatching way down there and they're, they travel their way from the mud at the bottom all the way to the surface and, uh, the fish feed on them in between. So we tie this very small, like. Under a half inch size fly, normally about maybe a quarter inch uh, long, yeah, and uh, drop it down to 75 feet over the edge of the boat with a full sink fly line, and uh, we're sitting there with our rods and the rod holders, and they just stand straight out The rod, the line goes straight (laughs) down, and these fish hit it as they're as they're feeding down below. And normally they hit it quite hard to the point that they take your rod tip into the water and just start screaming line, and wow. some of the fish will <laughs> come immediately airborne, even that deep. Really? Yeah. They'll like one one time fish. One of the fish hit, and <clears throat> I went to set the hook, and it felt like there was nothing there, so I put the rod back in the holder. But what happened was, is he he set the hook on himself. He felt that, and he immediately skyrocketed behind the boat. <laughs> So huh. I had to quickly gain line to catch that fish.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: That's that's a pretty insane way to catch fish. In like yeah, for trout. A,
1: yeah, we have lots of different species and they all pretty much eat these little bugs, chronomids, and that's that's our main uh, main fly fishing in the spring. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. I've never heard of
0: fly fishing at seventy feet deep. 75 yeah, feet a, deep
1: it's an experience <laughs> oh
0: yeah I can only imagine that, that there's sounds a couple like...
1: lakes around that there's a couple lakes around that they, uh, they'll they fish them down close to 100 feet oh my god yeah
0: that's rowdy very <laughs> <laughs> that's rowdy so I want to hear your backstory a little bit on what you've kind of grown up to do and how you started guiding and all that kind of stuff
1: so I grew up in this small town in South Central BC and uh, there's not a not a whole lot to do here. Most of the people that grow up leave and go to the, one of the little bit bigger cities around or towns. And uh yeah. in Chase which is my hometown there, we uh pretty much all we have is fishing and hunting. So yeah. Rader right we have a main, one big river that flows through Chase. I grew up, you know, it's, it's walking distance from my house, so I'd walk down there and, you know, cast my fly rod and learn lots. And, yeah. And then in the fall time or, you know, whenever we uh, we have lots of hunting around, there's normally something open with its coyotes or black bears or, you know, in the winter months we got cat hunting and uh, wolves and everything and then, and then in the fall like we have within an hour of my house I can be hunting uh, Canadian moose or I can be hunting whitetails and mule deer within 30 minutes of my house actually I've, I've actually shot quite a few whitetails walking on my front door oh wow yeah
0: that's awesome that sounds like uh, yeah. every hunter's uh, paradise right up there
1: yeah, it is. You know, you don't you don't have to go you don't have to go far to find find what you're looking for.
0: Oh yeah, that sounds like a good time. And for hunting cats, are you guys running dogs then?
1: Yeah, I have uh, three hounds of my own here, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, we'll run lynx, bobcat, and mountain lion with them. But I've only hunted bobcats and cougars with my dogs. I okay. haven't had the opportunity well I haven't caught a lynx yet I'll say that I've, I've definitely dumped on some tracks but yeah they uh, some links tracks but there's the, just the wrong conditions for them
0: yeah I hear you and uh, how hard to get how hard is it to get tags for like moose and stuff up there for so you guys and stuff like that
1: so for BC residents it's really not that hard you look up in the regulations and I Pretty much every, uh, region has, uh, a general open season for moose, okay. but it comes with, comes with a restriction. <clears throat> There's a size requirement that so you have to follow. Yeah. So you can over the counter, go purchase a tag that can be used in all of BC, but you just have to follow the regulations that come with each management unit. Yeah. Okay. the in the northern northern part of BC, you know, there's different restrictions like ten points, ten points or greater, or three on the three on the front palm, the front brows, yeah. And then where I where I am at, most of the time, it's actually two points or less, spike fork or less. Oh wow! Yeah, so it ha- on one side of the the antlers has to have two points, a spike. And that's it. So hmm. if the other side could have 10 on it, but if it has a giant spike coming out of the other side or two points on it, then that's a legal moose. Wow. Hmm. Yeah.
0: That's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. And uh, you were talking about guiding or you were talking about hunting black bears. Were you guiding for that this past spring?
1: No, actually because of the whole uh, situation we're going oh, through. Yeah. Uh, couldn't, couldn't get any hunters to come up for spring bear season so we've been uh whacking sacking bears <laughs> ourselves just me me and buddies and helping out people
0: yeah that's the way to do it then
1: yeah I hey. got my uh, my lar- my largest black bear I've ever harvested this this spring
0: oh wow how big was that thing
1: from from nose to tail it was seven foot eight dang. Yeah, it was, I, it was unreal.
0: That's a beast.
1: I wouldn't say that it was a younger bear. the The skull wasn't as as large as other bears that I've harvested, but it was it was by far the biggest bodied bear.
2: Yeah.
0: Dang, that's pretty cool. Now, are you guys um with the whole COVID deal? Is that still uh pretty serious going on up there up in Canada, or what's that?
1: So most of our restrictions have been lifted you know everyone is advised to stay home and uh they actually had a couple law laws that restricted people from going out no groups over four and stuff like that if if you're caught in the same vehicle with uh somebody from another household you, you could be fined oh wow dang that's pretty that's pretty tight then yeah, but uh we haven't had there's not haven't been too many cases, you know, in BC. Yeah. Compared to other places, but we've been pretty fortunate with that.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine how much it's affected the guides with the borders. That people can't come up from the US and hunt.
1: No, yeah. You get a you get a couple people you know trying to sneak through you know not necessarily hunters just people traveling but uh yeah. they'll say that they're going to Alaska and then you find them partying on a beach <laughs>
0: hmm. so you can you can drive up through there if you're going to Alaska then apparently hmm fair enough cuz i was wa- i was wondering about that on how people would get up to Alaska if they can't fly and if they're like down here
1: uh, you know, it's they're not supposed to, but they they definitely are stopping off in BC.
0: Oh, I can imagine. And then, is there like different regulations for the different provinces and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. So every every province is different. So if you're, it's not like the states where you can kind of travel, you know, travel to a different state and buy a license and tags. You know, some states you can do that, right? Yeah. And uh, here. If I want to go hunt, um, say I have a buddy in Alberta that wants to come here and hunt uh, mule deer with me, I have to get an, a company uh, license, and we have to apply for that, and he has to pay a pretty pretty top dollar to get the license, and then for each tag after that is uh, a pretty penny.
0: Really? Huh. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, because we do like... So some states you can just go over and buy over the counter, which it's like more expensive than the resident tag. But it's not like some states, it's not a huge jump or anything. But then a lot of them are like lottery as well. So you get like the preference points and then do that kind of deal.
1: Yeah, see, in BC, we have a full lottery system for... Are limited entry hunts. There are LEH hunts. We call them, and uh, there's no no point system. It's a complete lottery. So you know you have you have just as much of a chance to get that tag as Joe Blow.
2: Yeah. Huh.
1: But then there's also that chance that you know you'll you'll never draw.
0: Oh, exactly. Yeah, you just got to keep. Cause yeah, for like Wyoming. I've been putting in for, like, probably nine years now for elk and uh, mule deer. And it's, like, if you want, like, a good area, then you just get as many preference points as you can, and then you put in. And then you're, like, more likely to get it if you have, like, the right amount. Um, But I don't know. It'd be, like, Montana doesn't even do a preference point system they do like you just have to keep putting in every year on the draw and then like preference points are irrelevant. And so it's just like, it kind of varies per state.
1: Yeah. That sounds, that sounds a lot like a uh, BC, you know, we, we have, when you get to put in when you put in, you get to see the likeliness of that. You're going to draw. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a, dr- a draw just right. near me that is uh, 1600 to 1 so there's a very good chance that you'll never draw that
2: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's uh it's a, a late season uh, california bighorn sheep hunt oh yeah pretty pretty close to my place actually i got to help with one a few a little while ago actually last year oh and wow it was just a, a friend of mine up north his, his mother got it and uh I know the mountains pretty well and went out and helped them.
0: Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Did you guys hunt them with a bow or a gun?
1: Well, No, she's, she's, uh she's not the youngest spry checking around. So we, yeah. we got to, she, she used a rifle.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Are they, are they skittish at all up there or are they kind of pretty metal, mellow?
1: It, it depends on where they are. These, this tag, there's, it's, <laughs> in a very close proximity to a very, uh, fairly large city. Yeah. So they do get a lot of hiking pressure and, you know, cyclists. Okay. So they're not, you know, they're not unfamiliar with people so in the early season. You can normally see them pretty close to town. Yeah. But, uh, when it comes to the rut and late season, they sometimes can be a little bit more weary on what a person is.
0: Yeah. Cause we were over in, Montana uh, three weeks ago, maybe, I want to say. Um And my buddy has a big ranch out there that I was helping uh, build fence and stuff on. And we were climbing up in the mountains and, like, looking for bighorn rams and stuff like that. And we pulled up on, like, a group of just seven monsters. And they were, like, 35 yards away. Didn't care at all. And he's like cause they bow hunt them. Like they'll have guys come out there and bow hunt them. And they just aren't like, they aren't really scared cause they don't, they don't ever see anyone. So they don't yeah. really know what it is. And
1: yeah,
0: I was like, dang, that's pretty cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've definitely, I've seen some sheep that, you know, if they, if they see you from four miles away, they're going to be in the next province by the time you, you get to them. Yeah. Oh, so they, you know, that's, that's your best defense mechanism is their eyes.
0: Yeah. And they so can,
1: it, it, just, it just depends on body language too.
0: Yeah. They can move so quick too. Like they can climb those mountains in five minutes.
1: Oh and yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I do a lot of sheep photography and, uh, there was two big Rams that I've been watching and they were hanging out with one U and she was missing her rear left foot and you know maybe she lost it in barbed wire or something but she was getting around pretty good but she believed that everything was out to kill her so whenever I tried to get close to these these sheep you know while while the rams didn't care once I got pretty close to them
2: yeah this
1: you thought that everything was out to get her so she would just scale cliffs you know even with three feet she's scaling cliffs and taking the rams with her
0: yeah (laughs) It's it's unbelievable how they can move and just climb those steep, steep cliffs. Because even when we were out there, we watched... I mean, we watched a group of, like, eight climb a massive, massive cliff in, like, literally, I want to say five or ten minutes.
1: Yeah, it's, it doesn't take them long to get out of Dodge.
0: No. <laughs> Not at all. And I was, like, so mind-blown of how how you're able to do that because we climbed down in one of those ravines to go look for sheep skulls and because like they just lifted um, like the fine so it used to be if you found a sheep skull in that area um, and you like touched it or moved it or anything you'd get a $40,000 fine and you'd never be able to hunt in Montana oh wow yeah so their thought process behind it was people would go shoot them find them let them lay for a year and then come pick up the skull I think yeah yeah we have,
1: we have the same thing
0: yeah and that was kind of their gist of it but now they just lifted it so if you find one you can bring it home and keep it and so that, we,
1: that's really cool
0: yeah so we were
1: like I oh. got
2: yeah go ahead go.
1: I was going to say, I uh, I got to pick up two doll sheep deadheads this season when I was uh, up north. That's crazy. And I was able to bring them home.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, so,
1: both really old rams.
0: Yeah, and so we were like, yeah, we'll go go check it out, climb down the cliffs, and, geez, they are hard. It's hard walking, yeah. and they're steep. <laughs> like, we got, we got to more of the bottom of the ravine, and then it's like, oh, my God. We have to climb that all the way up, and it's going to take us about an hour, hour and a half to get back up.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and
1: now, 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 rush daylight, and then up here, you know, at the end of the season, we'll get sometimes two feet of snow, and yeah. you know, you're you're doing that, and you're not knowing what you're stepping on, but you still got to get up that cliff.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, that would be a challenge. The summer walking is a breeze. Compared to that, yeah, <laughs> I yeah,
1: uh, yeah. The mountains vary but in uh, coastal BC where I've guided California bighorns. You know, they're they're pretty unforgiving mountains. Yeah, they can uh, they're pretty sharp and jagged. Yeah, but unlike the the mountains of the north where they're a lot older and they're more rolling hills. And you know, there are still lots of cliffs and rock face, but they're not near as unforgiving as those coastal mountains
2: yeah
0: oh i can imagine that's kind of i feel like those are the kind of the same mountains that we were out on right along the missouri river in montana and they're just steep oh, yeah. and they're jagged and yeah if you if you fall you're done <laughs> like, yeah it's, it's a long fall down <laughs> and
1: yeah there's, there's a couple times you're you're holding on and thinking
0: why did why did i do this oh yeah and like especially if you're like you have to have both hands like ready to go basically i mean i had my camera in one hand and was like climbing down and i'm like uh this is a little sketchy i'd ideally like to have two hands available (laughs) but yeah like what are you gonna do i guess
1: i got a i got a big leather sling for my uh my camera there with the wildlife photography lens it's it's pretty big and cumbersome so i'll sling it around one sho- over one shoulder yeah and you know over my head as well and then i can actually slide it over to my back so i can have both hands free to yeah climb or in some cases pick cactus out of my legs
0: oh yeah cactus is brutal we were there's like where we were at they were so small and
1: yeah little little jumping cactus little prickly pears
0: Yeah, and it's like you got to really watch where you sit down because you might all of a sudden just have a bunch of thorns in your ass.
1: Yeah, been there. We actually take a a hair comb, and uh, that's how how I normally get them out is you take the hair comb and run it against your pant leg or whatever and get in between the cactus and pull it out that way.
0: Really? Yeah. That's not a bad way to do it.
1: Yeah, it helps us, especially when we're hunting with a, you know, uh, pointing dogs.
2: Oh yeah. With, uh, for
1: chuckers chuckers and different uh different uplanding birds. You know, the dogs get a, a cactus in their foot and grab your leg, grab your comb, flick it off and check for any other thorns and off they go.
0: Yeah, does that happen quite a bit when you guys are hunting upland then? Or is it kinda yeah, they kinda of know?
1: Well the dog it's it's tough, you know, the do- yeah. the dogs have one thing in mind and that's that's fine in their bird. Yep. So it just depends on how much cactus is in the area. I've only hunted with points and dogs a very, very few times. But when it has happened, yeah, we, we use the comb to get the, the cactus out.
0: Yeah. Well, that's pretty neat. Are they all, um, are they wild chuckers or are they part of a game farm?
1: Well, no, we, we, they're all wild in, in a sense. You know, they're yeah. brought over. Yeah. They're, they're not native, but... Yeah, they're they're all completely wild. There's no no game farms around here yeah. that uh release.
0: Yeah, chuckers would be fun to hunt. I've I've shot them on a game farm before, but I'd really like to go do that and go hunt them wild, like out in Montana or something. I feel like that'd be a lot of fun.
1: They they are the most fun. Up here they're pre- they're pretty tough to to hunt where they are. A lot of guys will go out and <laughs> maybe they'll they'll get one or two but yeah. if you really go hard our limit's five and there's not too many people that'll get five but if you put the the time and effort into it you can you can get your limit
0: yeah you can scratch it out yeah absolutely and now once bear season ends for you guys what's kind of the next step after fishing and all that kind of
1: stuff well nor- normally right now what like I was telling you before, we I'd be heading up to the Northwest Territories right now, yeah. the guide for uh, Nahanni Butte and uh, Northwest Territories Outfitter, but uh, with the whole COVID deal going on, it's very very unlikely it's going to happen. And uh, but yeah, so after fishing and everything, the next next real season is September first. Or okay. Or early season uh, goat hunting and early season sheep. Yeah. So those, those will start in uh, August.
0: Okay. With, it, have, you, yeah. have you done anything with those? Like have you hunted sheep and goats at all?
1: I've never hunted early season goats personally in northern BC. Or I mean, sorry, early season sheep. I've hunted early season goats before. Never found anything worth harvesting but uh yeah it's it's fun you know you're in you're it's a it's a fight because it's so hot out and you're trying to you know wear enough clothes that you're not gonna sweat but enough clothes that devil's club isn't gonna tear your legs apart
2: yeah
0: (laughs) yeah oh i hear you yeah that'd be that'd be pretty neat to go hunt those and um for like mountain goats, saw so you uh, shot one of those.
1: Yeah, I got one there uh, last day of the season uh, last year.
0: Those animals are so cool.
1: <clears throat> yeah, they are. I've uh, I spent I spent a week hunting them, and uh, actually, it was it was funny because we came out after that week of hunting them, chasing one really big goat around. And the goat that I harvested was actually my number two. We, I was kind of watching him. He was, a li- he was a little bit lower on the mountain chasing nannies. And uh, the big one was up at the top. And I tried a couple of times to get, get within shooting distance of him. And he just kept giving me the slip. And uh, it it actually happened that I was leaving the day before closing and I went all the way home and just couldn't you just couldn't bring myself to not to not get get a goat you know I've never never harvested one for myself I've guided a bunch of them but yeah I've never uh harvested one for myself so I actually dropped my buddy off turned around and headed back up there and spent the night in my pickup and headed up before daylight and uh yeah I got that goat in the evening of uh, the last day
0: that's awesome
1: completely solo so that was also a fun experience
0: (laughs) completely solo that would be yeah that'd be quite the experience
1: it was it was nice because i you know i didn't have i took some gear up to spend the night if i needed to which isn't much it was it's late season so it gets pretty cold so i had my my and whatnot but uh yeah where he was and you know how far i was from the truck i was like you know what i'm just gonna do it one trip so quartered him up you know, brought the whole cape out, everything, rib meat, neck meat. Wow! threw all, threw all in the pack and uh, trucked her out.
0: Yeah, how hard was it to pack all that up?
1: On one trip, to, you know, it's a it was a fairly big goat, even though he was young. Uh, it was probably close to a hundred hundred pound pack, maybe maybe a bit more than that. Oh wow! So nice and slow one foot in front of the other and you know I kind of uh, thick headed like that you know Yeah. I just look at it and be like well you know it's, I'm coming off the mountain I just gotta keep moving
0: <laughs> exactly oh I hear you on <laughs> might that
1: take a little might take a little while but I'm gonna get there
0: yeah oh I love it yeah I feel like that's the same way with like waterfall and for us if we have to walk in somewhere I'm like ah as much as I can pack in cause I'm not going back so.
1: Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm the same way with you I, I've done a little bit of waterfowl But uh, most of the time Well when I've done it in the lower mainland Of BC we can uh, normally get a vehicle Pretty close but I also have one spot That uh, you have to pack in a couple Things and if you're not there Right on time it's a giant rush And yeah. you're trying to make as few trips To the truck as possible
0: Oh exactly Yeah we I try not to do too much walking in unless it's like a really, really good spot. And then I'll be like, all right, let's do it. But I'm making one trip out there and I'm making one trip back. So I'm going to load literally everything I can hold. And then that's it. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. No, especially with the the packing off a a big game animal, having the right pack is, uh, crucial you know you have the wrong pack it sits on you the wrong way maybe it flops back and forth and yeah. you know that that's how you get hurt is when you don't have a pack that fits you right and you know is going to do the job that you want it to
0: what pack do you like to run
1: I uh I run a kafaru that's and, uh by far the most comfortable pack I've ever put on my back
0: And say it again cause I I didn't really hear you there kafaru? kafaru?
1: Yeah. Fair enough. It's uh, even never heard of it?
0: No, I've never heard of it.
1: Oh, it's a awesome uh, military-owned uh, hunting pack. Made made in the U.S. Everything everything that they have is made in the USA That's
0: awesome.
1: It definitely definitely give them a uh, a look. They're, they're unreal packs. They have a huge lineup. It any kind of pack that you need, I'm I'm sure they got it. Yeah the guys over there, you know, they'll they'll any questions you have, you can know, shoot Aaron Aaron a message or any of the guys that can fire you, they'll uh, they'll hook you up and definitely you know, get the pack suited and fit for you.
0: Yeah. And what makes their pack different than other ones that you've tried? Like
1: what they're do you're really <clears throat> they're really hip oriented. Okay. There's a lot of packs that will rely you know, a lot on your back, yeah. I feel that they, they ride on your hips and it takes a lot off of your back. So, you know, everyone says, Oh, well, that was a back-breaking, you know, hike or something. and I was like, well, you know, I, I don't really feel it on my back at all because, you know, the, the pack fit and formed to me where it rides on my hips so perfectly that, you know, a 60 pound pack feels like nothing.
2: Yeah. Huh.
1: So, and they're, they're super tough. Like, there's there's a lot of packs that you know you throw them around in the rocks and drag them across and especially guiding you know you get them in through a couple seasons and you got a couple holes in them and patch them up with tape and send them back but kafaru like their packs are built so well that you know i put my first little tear in in mine this season and i'm pretty sure is because i was i was i had it on my back when i was crossing a barbed wire fence
0: uh yeah huh yeah i'll have to check that out because i gotta be i gotta start looking for my pack for elk hunting and mule deer when i head out to wyoming here so i gotta
1: yeah definitely let me know and i can i can help you pick out a pack yeah you know especially if you're gonna look at kafaru you know i know the guys at Kafaru a little pretty well there and you know the they really cater to you
0: yeah that's awesome that's good to hear um and do you use that all season longland? Is that kind of your main pack or do you have different packs for different kinds of scenarios?
1: That's really my main pack. I have one, one other pack that I use for running cats, but mm. uh, it's, it's just a small almost hydration pack yeah. style and it, it has a, <clears throat> an onboard scabbard. So when I throw my, my lever action in my, in my pack it's, it's not getting in the way it's behind my head so whenever i duck under a branch it, it ducks under with me it's not on my shoulder falling off
0: okay yeah yeah fair enough
1: when you guys are hunting, oh yeah that, go ahead i was gonna say that's that those are my my two two packs if i have to pack out moose quarters i'll i'll take the Kafaru. if i go hunting cats I grab the the little pack
2: yeah
0: that's awesome when you guys are hunting cats um how many miles do you put on in a day or do you kind of just sit and let the dogs do the work or what's kind of your thing behind that because i talked to uh some guys when i was out in montana that chase cats all year long or like chase cats the entire season it was pretty uh pretty cool to hear some of their stories
1: yeah so what how our cat hunting really entails is the cats are pretty. You know, I would say scheduled. You know, you you yeah. learn their routes, and they they do the same routes almost every year. Even if it's not the same cat, they they have a really set kind of territory and where they live. So what our hunt entails is we're driving logging and roads and <clears throat> different trails, looking for their tracks and fairly fresh snow. And you know, if if we get a snowfall at night and it ends at one in the morning we're out there the next day in the dark looking for the, for the tracks. And as soon as we find, you know, a track worth worth running, yeah. we'll take the dog, you know, we'll walk them for a little bit on it. You know, normally if they're pretty fresh, we don't even need to walk. And we just turn them loose on, on the track. You know, they got, they either got their collars on and chases on, we can, other try to drive closer if you know we see the chase is going to another road or we can you know just hop on foot and start following the dogs
2: yeah
0: yeah that's what they were talking about too they got they really pattern the cats on where they go and how they like like just totally outsmart you he was talking about they've been chasing this big cat over in Montana for the past, like, year, I want to say. And they had him treat at one point, but he was back, like, on a phone call. And they were like, well, it looked like he had two other people out there with him. And they're like, well, it looks like a um, female. And he's like, ah, don't shoot it. We'll just run back and go start looking for something else. And then they took a picture of it, and it was the cat that he was hunting and then he's like ah that's shitty (laughs) but then like he's been chasing this cat like all all last season and they'd go one way and the cat would go the other and they were like they finally got him patterned of like oh we every time we'd go up this ridge he was walking around down here and then he'd come back up that ridge that we just walked and they kind of just like figured it out from there. And it was pretty yeah. cool to hear about <laughs> it.
1: Yeah, they they really they really get into their routes and uh once they they get on a kill, you know, they'll stay on that kill for a couple days, sometimes a week. Yeah. So, you know, you can have a cat that goes it in, goes into a <clears throat> or onto the top of a mountain and you can or, you know, say it's going across the valley and you drive to the other side of the valley and there's no tracks coming out and you know you you got this cat completely circled he drove around in a circle well you know that that cat's down in that valley he's probably got a deer killed yeah (laughs) so you know you, you let the dogs go and sometimes that can be a pretty quick one i uh i had one this year where i was just got off the road and hopped on the main road and i was on my way to to go out another side of the mountain and I seen something run across the road and first registered in my head that it was a deer and then I realized it had a three foot four foot tail behind it
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you know, it, it never never had that happen when I've you know when I've been cougar hunting and uh I've never had one just run across the road in the middle of the day it was <laughs> Probably noon. And that yeah. cat decided it was crossing the road in front of me. Yeah. It actually it jumped out of a horse pen. Huh. Funny enough, it jumped out of a horse pen and then jumped into another one. Oh wow. So I uh I seen that and I quickly drove up the guy's driveway and you know, he seen me driving up the driveway, so he came out and asked me what I was up to and I told him, yeah, sir, a lion just ran through your your uh, horse pen. I was like, do you mind if I chase it? And he's like, you better. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I, so okay. I went back and let let the dogs go, and they had it treed within 500 yards, and the cat turned out to be right around 150 pounds and right on the, the edge of a Booney Crockett book. Wow
0: that's quite the story <laughs> yeah uh, I yeah i i've never heard of a cat running around like that during the middle of middle of the day i mean to see one like that it's pretty rare i feel like
1: yeah you know you when you're in the area with the cat you know it, it it becomes a lot more frequent
2: yeah that you'll
1: you'll have experiences like that like we have a valley not far from home and it is infested with bobcats most of it's on uh reservation land and the rest of it's on private okay. but uh you know I've become pretty good friends with the uh, the rest of the private and you know it's it's my reservation and yeah. uh it's it's like every kilometer there's other one or two bobcats crossing the road and there's completely different bobcats not the same one huh. and uh you get into you know the concentration of that many animals and all of a sudden you get out in the morning and there's a bobcat running across the road or yeah. you know there's bobcat standing on standing on the side of the road or you know you get a, a scraps from a, a deer that you harvested and you throw them out and you're allowed to bait bobcats up here and okay. sure enough you know you throw throw your bait up in a tree and you know there's there's a bobcat sitting there chewing on it the next morning
0: oh yeah i can imagine yeah that'd be that'd be pretty neat if you guys got quite a few bob. i've never seen a bobcat in person
1: yeah we we have a lot of bobcats right now it's it's been a very the top of their cycle they normally go in what a lot of people will say is either a four or four some people will say 10 year cycle but it goes with the snowshoe hares. Snowshoe hares will be in high population, and then when they die off from just anything—from you know, too many bobcats eating them or coyotes eating them—they yeah. start to die off. Ninety-five percent of a of a bobcat diet is, uh, you know, snowshoe hare. Really, okay. you know, in the winter at least, they don't—they don't eat a whole lot more in the winter.
2: Yeah.
0: Wow, that's pretty neat. And you were talking about the private lands up there. Is it hard to get permission up there where you guys are at?
1: It depends. You know, you you get a lot of cattle ranchers and stuff, and most of them will will understand. You know, say you you show up at their house and say, "Hey, sir," you know. See, so you got a couple coyotes running around. You know, mind if I hunt them? And some some will say yes, some will say no. It. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's any. You know. It's difficult, but yeah. you know, it's, you ask enough people, you're going to get a couple of yeses. And oh yeah, you know, if they, if they know you as well, you know, they heard word of mouth. So, well, this guy harvested a bunch of coyotes off my property, you know, let, let him know. And then all of a sudden I'm getting calls. Hey, I got coyote problems.
0: Yeah. Oh, I hear you. That's kind of the same way with down here. Like it's either a yes or a no. And yeah, if you sweet. Talk them enough. Like they'll, they'll be all right with it. And they know like who you are or about you, like you've hunted other farms, like for waterfowl hunting. If people know that I hunt like certain farms and then I'll be like, Oh yeah, I've hunted theirs. And then they call them and ask them, Oh, is this kid like all right to hunt my farm? Is he going to mess anything up? And they're like, ah no, he's good. He's a good shit. So then they let me hunt and then just kind of goes like that. As long as your name gets out there, really.
1: Exactly. You know, having a reputation is a big thing that, you know, picking up your, picking up your shells and, you know, not making a mess is a huge thing. I have a buddy down on the coast and he's the only one with permission for this one field. And, uh, his name's Jason there. And, uh, he, you know, he has, that farmer has people asking him every, every day, you know, I'll I'll pay or I'll, you know, I'll do this for you. But, you know, Jason's been good to him and, uh, you know treat this property right
2: and
1: yep. you know he, he has nobody else on the property except jason because there's you know there's no need to risk it with somebody else he's oh, got exactly. it all tied up because he's a you know he's worked hard for the guy and he's proven himself
0: yeah and i feel like if you like i'll go go over to their house off season and be like hey do you guys need any help around the farm like that i can do and most of the time they'll say no but then if they do say yes it's like it's not hard and they let you hunt all year round and they don't let anyone else hunt out there because you're out there or if you bring them like walleye or whatever it is just bring them a little gift and a thank you card for letting them letting you hunt just makes a huge difference oh yeah
1: it's a it's a big difference you you know even if they don't have any work for you yeah. it's the fact that you offered and you know even if you've done it a couple times you know catch up with them again hey do you, do you still have no, no work or you know yeah it it goes it goes a long way as uh you know my family has a lot of farmland and we we rarely have anybody ask us to hunt mostly because everyone knows that I hunt it yeah and uh yeah but you know if somebody did come up and said hey you know I I'd come help you on the farm if I could go fishing on the river by your property, you know, we, we'd love that, you know?
0: Exactly. Oh yeah. I, I had a farmer, we were hunting out in the field last year and I was like, every time before I leave him like, Hey, you need any help? And he's only asked me to help him one time. And that was move. Like, I want to say, 10 logs out of the way out of his culvert. So then the water could run through. Cause he's, he's an older guy and he didn't want to crawl down there. And like, there's just a lot harder work for him to do that. And it was like, took me maybe 10 minutes and it's not hard work, but it made the world like change for him.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely get, getting your name out there helps and helping the farmers is how to, how to have good relationship ships with them and you know, it normally goes a long way.
0: Oh, exactly. And now is it hard to get permission for like big game out there? Like if you're that's trying to
1: mo- that's more of a, a tougher tougher thing to do. Yeah. There's a lot of big companies and uh, you know it's some people just just don't like to see see the deer get shot. It's, yeah you know, they might not be against hunting, but you know, they, they have these deer out in their fields every day and maybe his wife likes to see them.
0: Yeah. Oh, exactly.
1: Yeah. You can't, you can't blame them. You know, BC has a ton of public land, you know, the, the fat fraction of land that's actually private is just so minuscule. Yeah. The fact that people will actually complain about hunting private land or, you know, that they couldn't get private land permission, is you know it's it's almost laughable because (laughs) you don't you don't need it It, yeah it's it's a thing you really don't yeah you know there's there's so much
0: i can imagine yeah and you guys have a way different like for you guys you have so much public land to hunt down here it's like we have public land but everybody hunts it because nobody gets permission so i feel like private land for like waterfowl is a big thing but then for you guys in big game like public if you have that much to go use all you have to do is put in time
1: yeah that's and that's that's all it is it comes down to an effort it's uh you know i when i go after hunting mule deer i very rarely ever see another person yeah very rarely you know if i see somebody you know in my area you know I I know they're just as crazy, you know. Maybe you know thick skulls as I, and I'll talk I'll talk all day with them because you know if they're stupid enough to come in there with me, you know they got to be the right kind of person.
0: Oh yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's awesome. And are they called like public lands for you guys? I know there's different names for them, like like out of Montana, They're, they're BLM and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, they're 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 public lands but it's crown land that's that's what it's called it's a uh, crown land
0: okay and what is like what does that mean crown
1: land uh, it's, you know it, it, it's it's equivalent to public land we're still under you know our old ways of uh, the British so okay. you know it's owned by the government but you know yeah. it's it's open to use it's it's the public land
2: yeah
0: and do they keep Not owned the- by one person yeah, do they keep, like, the roads and stuff through there, like, good and cleaned up, or is it pretty pretty rough driving when you're back there?
1: Depends. We have, uh, we have a lot of lo- uh, forestry that goes on. So there's lots of roads that, you know, are semi-maintained and maintained, but there's also, once they're done logging an area, and they have no future plans to log in there anymore, they will either pull the culverts out and just leave it as a, you know, a partial, a, uh, a deactivated road to the point that they're not maintaining it anymore but if they have absolutely no um no reason to go back in there they'll as they're coming out with a an excavator they will tear up the road so that you can't drive on it which is a great thing because up here you know our animals have been going down and down and down yeah but it's been less and less. It's mostly a wolf problem, but there is also a access problem because where these deer are, they're just getting hammered because people don't have to leave their vehicle most of the time to, yeah. to shoot it. Cause you know, you're creating habitat by logging these blocks and you know, you have a road that goes right through the middle of it. And if you have a diesel pickup, most of the time they just think it's a, piece of machinery coming through and they just stand there and look at you
2: yeah
0: oh I hear ya we uh cause my buddy was talking about that when we were out in Montana and he's saying so they have like BLM lands which are public lands and you can drive out there hunt out there whatever it is but once the season starts everybody just drives around and tries to hunt out of the pickup and never really leave their pickup and then they just push, push deer out of those lands and then they just go to spots where you can't get out them from a truck. And so if you're not getting out of your truck, you're not going to see many. And yeah, if you that, that's do,
1: That's actually a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I really do enjoy that when, you know, people are driving around on quads and I'm sitting here watching, you know, not say it's not a legal requirement moose, and maybe they have an LEH, which allows them to hunt that moose. Yeah. And they're driving around on their quad and that quad, he- that moose hears that, that quad coming down the trail and, and it's gone. Yeah. You know, well, I, I've just been sitting there watching it for the last 40 minutes because I walked to that road. Maybe I wasn't even off road. I was just walking.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's the biggest game changer is just getting out and walking and not using your pickup or whatever it is because it just spooks them out of there. And yeah. he was talking, they're like, yeah, I mean, you'll have maybe 10% of the deer left that you'll see driving in a pickup because all the rest of them were down in the valleys or they moved out like another couple miles to where you can't even, yeah. can't even get at them unless you want to walk to two cliffs.
1: Yeah. And it, because of that, you know, want, wanting to be successful is really what drove me to, to be, you know, a better hunter and what slowly leaded into me wanting to become a guide yeah. because I would have, you know, I'd have to work really hard to get, an, get these animals or, you know, to get a quality animal Yeah. and, uh, <clears throat> you know, it just, it made you work harder. It made you become a better hunter.
0: Oh, Exactly. And I feel – and, like, if I'm going to go do one of those hunts, I don't want to go drive around in a pickup all day. Like, I want to go walk the land and, like, spot them out, watch them, kind of get them know where they're going and then find a big one. I don't want to just be driving my pickup all day.
1: Yeah. You know, you really – are you really hunting when you're doing that? Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just – the different way for people, I guess. I mean, if you yeah, have, yeah, it is. Like,
1: you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be the guy that says I've never shot an animal from the road or yeah. you know, from my vehicle, but you know, I've definitely been more successful w- growing up learning that if I got off the road, I found better quality animals.
0: Yeah. Oh, exactly. And um, are you guys? out in those lands when you're hunting like moose and stuff like that um how hard is it to find them
1: so there's a lot of people you know around that'll really complain about moose hunting because they never get one but again it comes down to how much effort you put in the they say that it's they call the spike fork moose the two-point or spike moose a unicorn a lot of people will use that term so that's a unicorn but uh, it's it's got to be unicorns must be pretty common if me and my dad have harvested one you know every year for the last six years yeah (laughs) (laughs) so you know there's people that'll go and they'll get they'll get a moose maybe one every 10 years or something. And most of that time it's because they got a draw, which allows them to hunt any moose. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it, same thing. It, maybe it stepped out on the road in front of them.
2: Yeah. But,
1: you know, getting, getting off the road and slowly sifting through moose and finding where they are and where they're feeding. And, you know, you start finding cows and, you know, those, the real spike fork moose normally are going to be about a two-year-old or a one or two-year-old moose, which are the best eating. Yeah. And in my, in my, my findings, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's more just putting in the effort. They're so concentrated in my region. I, I bet there's only 3000 moose, but you know, those 3000, those 3000 moose could be, you know, in very, very small concentrated areas yeah you know you find one area and if it has 10 moose you know that that cow that just walked past you well maybe it had a calf last year and that that calf last this, this year is a two point yeah so being in the right place is is all it is all it is
0: yeah and what's the terrain like where you hunt those moose
1: Normally, it's in the valley bottoms. Okay. So you'll look, and we don't have really steep and jagged mountains where I live. Okay. But in these valley bottoms, you get a lot of swamps and you know, yeah, old growth timber and cut blocks and stuff, and that's where the moose, the moose are at.
0: Yeah, because I was, I was thinking. I feel like every time I see someone that's moose hunting, it's always kind of like in a swampy area or like so they
1: don't call them swamp they don't call them swamp donkeys for no reason. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> like it's always kind of that kind of cover. And I was wondering if that's kind of the same way for you and it sounds like it is.
1: Yeah, it is just, and but again, you know, having people be so unsuccessful and yeah. they wonder why, well, get off your get off your quad and yeah. start walking. Get That's off your ass and go do be, something. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's what it's what made me grow to be a better hunter, which, you know, again, led to me becoming a guide.
0: Yeah, keeps you in shape too. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: do you do any, uh,
0: like, training or anything like that that you feel like helps you? when you're guiding up on those mountains or you kind of just, you're so prepared for it that like you're just so used to it. It doesn't affect you really. Cause I know some guys do a bunch of like a bunch of workouts and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, is that necessary or is it?
1: As much as I want to say that I have a, a gym routine and you know, I'm drinking mountain ops every day. Yeah. I'm really not. <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll smash back a bunch of carbonated water and, uh, Maybe throw my pack on and go for a walk, yeah, but really it's it, it comes down to mental toughness. I've seen some pretty big guys do some pretty amazing things, yeah, and uh I really don't it helps being in physical shape really helps, especially when you're you know doing backpack hunt yeah because if you're carrying you know if you're forty pounds overweight and you're carrying a sixty pound pack, well. Add forty to sixty and you're packing more weight weight in than you should be, yeah so but then again I've also seen some pretty big guys do some pretty amazing things <laughs> so if, if you're mentally tough you know that that's where it counts i've I've had ripped athletes you know on the fourth day they're just they're done you know they've they're wondering how you do this yeah <laughs> oh yeah Well, Throw your foot in front of the other one. We still got another, another mountain to go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. What would you say the hardest type of hunting is up there, for like a certain animal?
1: I would have to say mountain goat. They live in, they live places that nothing else should live. <laughs> so you know you'll look at a sheer cliff. Absolutely sheer cliff and then say the northern coastal part of BC. It's you know, a thousand meters tall, it's straight rock and oh there's there's a little little white dot standing in the middle of that and you glass it up and it's a goat and yeah. you're like, Well why is it there? Well, it's just <laughs> doing goat things. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's awesome.
2: But
1: uh yeah, they're definitely I would say the hardest to hunt everything else seems to come pretty, pretty easy. Yeah. Well, I can, a lot of, a lot of people people say that sheep hunting for retired goat hunters.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I feel like once you go on a goat hunt, I feel like everything else would just be a piece of cake.
1: Yeah, it, it can, it can be, you know, once, once you start doing backpack hunts, everything starts to come easier. Yeah. But once you start putting yourself in the in the shit that's when uh, everything else starts to come easy
2: oh yeah all that thick. i'm not
1: gonna i'm not gonna say that, that sitting in a in a tree stand and you know freezing weather while it rains and snows is is easy you know i, I yeah. definitely couldn't do it i've i stood in a tree stand once in my life and you know i, I went crazy yeah absolutely crazy and I, I was like how do you guys do this
0: <laughs> oh yeah yeah, there's some, there's some dedicated people for that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I sit in a stand every once in a while, for whitetails, but I just, I'd way rather be walking around or doing something because I just can't sit that long,
2: like.
1: And then I've I've come to learn with whitetails because, like I said, I, I I don't tree stand hunt, but uh, I've come to learn with whitetails. I've, walking normally it it can be really productive, especially, you know, if you're a good shot, Yeah. but if you're not, most of those things know you're coming way before you know, they're there. Oh yeah. And if you're not quick to judge and say there's a horn restriction, which there isn't in my area, but mm-hmm. you know, that, that white tail is fleeing. You got a tail in the air and you see a rack and you know, you're trying to count points and, well, I think, there, I think there's four and boom, and, yeah. you know, it out to be less. Well, you know, when you're standing in a tree stand and the deer's walking by unknowing that you're up there, you have a lot more chance to figure out that that deer is legal or, you know, that's the size class that you're after.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, big time. And, I mean, I've sat in those freezing rains and stuff like that, and you – if you're not wearing the right gear, you're screwed. Like you get cold so quick.
2: <laughs> like.
1: Yeah, no, and I uh, I used to really not have good gear. Well, yeah. Pardon my English. No yeah, words. no, my my gear, was, my gear gear was pretty terrible. Yeah. And uh, from that, you slowly learned, you know, learn what what to take with you. When I first started guiding, you know, I was. I was up in the Sheep Mountains wearing a Carhartt jacket and jeans. Oh wow! Yeah, and you know I had uh, <laughs> equipment that was subpar. You know, I I paid what I paid all the money that I had to get get the equipment I had, and you yeah. know I paid for it in the end. After my uh, two years of uh, guiding on horseback, I went through two two spotting scopes and three pairs of uh, binoculars. Oh wow! Yeah, just go. Just had the had cheap gear, and you know a brand that I, I now don't trust.
0: Yeah. Oh, I hear you. Yeah, I, I've switched over quite a few times, because when I was younger, I mean, you buy what you can buy, and then it's like,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. buy once, cry once, man. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a it's a big thing. uh you know, I didn't believe it at the start. I. Even now, you know, I, I I look for the value in things, but, you know, now I'll pay a little bit more for that better gear just because, you know, maybe that means that I, I have to eat ramen for a couple, uh, couple more nights, but yeah. at least I got that, you know, that insurance that when I'm on the mountain, my spotting scope isn't going to give out.
0: Yeah. Oh, exactly. And I feel like people just don't understand, like, how – how good that stuff is and like especially for hunting and like the layering systems and all that kind of stuff like people just don't understand like you wear one thing but you're not wearing like the right type of layering and you're gonna get yeah. really cold or you're gonna get hot and then you're gonna start to sweat and then you're gonna get really cold
1: exactly you know when you're when you're in those real freezing temperatures and late season goat hunting sometimes sweating means that you know your hunt's over yeah once you once you get wet and cold you're you're done that's that's it yeah unless you're you're you know young and dumb like me and you can freeze and that stuff and <laughs> still keep going yeah there's a lot of times you wake up in the morning and you can't fit your feet into your boots
0: oh yeah your
1: Boots are so frozen
0: oh i can imagine yeah because do you do you ever camp out there A lot.
1: well i've I've done a lot of backpacking
0: yeah yeah that'd be that'd be quite the experience to go do that go camp out up in the mountains and go do a hunt like that because i've i've seen them and that's definitely on one of my bucket lists
1: yeah it's it's the way to do it man like especially well it, it, there's a, there's a time and place for camping out. You know, if you're, if you're hiking up and it's, it's a mile in, you know, use, using your guys' American terms, a mile, say <laughs> a, a, a kilometer, um, you know, if you're going, going in a mile yeah. and, uh, it's, you know, that's it. That's all, you're in a mile and you're starting hunting. There's, me there's no reason unless you have to travel a long ways there's no reason for you to camp because yeah. most of the time if you're camping right where the deer are going to be or you know near them you might be causing a big enough presence that those deer aren't going to be there anymore they're going to leave oh yeah so there's a time and place for camping and hunting but it's definitely when it when it fits it's the right thing to do
0: now how's how deep would you say you'd go before you start camping? Like if you're a certain distance from the truck and you
1: say, I'm, say I'm a far distance from home. Okay. And uh, there's, there's two types of camping. I'd say if I, if I was hunting an area, I didn't really know. And I was only walking in, like I said, a mile, I'll camp from the truck. I'll, I'll have my gear and I'll camp there. But if I'm having to backpack in, you know, three, four miles, maybe, maybe five miles. Yeah. That's when, that's when I'm going to start deciding. All right. Well, I'm, I'm taking my tent with me and uh, full gear.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'd five miles. It's a long walk. I mean, if you're thinking like, I don't know, 15 minutes to walk a mile, just on like a track, like a mile in the like rough country is probably close to like an hour. I'd bet. Hour oh, yeah. and a half. Yeah.
1: You know, there's, there's sometimes that it's taken us two days to get to where we want to be hunting Oh where, yeah. you know, say it's, say it's 20 miles. Yeah. Something like that. You're doing, you're doing that with a six, 60 pound pack. And then, you know, most people don't think about that. You're like, well, you know, I got my, I'm um, cutting down weight and, you know, make, like all their ultra light stuff. And then they get there and realize, well, now you got to pack another 50 or 60 pounds worth of meat and horns yeah. on your back and take it out.
2: Yeah. Oh, they, do. that's
1: most of the time where people will, will do m- multiple trips, but most of the time, if, uh, if the situation is there, I'll, I'll. I'll prefer not to do more than one trip.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine for, like, when you guys moose hunt, how many trips does that take, like, to pack out?
1: Yeah, so a pack out with a moose, it depends. Our moose down here in southern BC aren't that big, especially when you're harvesting an immature moose as in a, a spike fork. I can... I can take two quarters of a spike fork moose, say even say a, a front and a and a hind quarter, on my back, and you know go into the truck. You know then there's three or four trips. Yeah. But you know, only taking the identifying factors. You know, that it's a bull and it's a legal bull and the sex and the requirements that needs to come out because most of the time when I'm shooting a two point moose, I'm not mounting that thing. Yeah. It's a it's, it's a it's a meat moose. Yeah. So the high, you know, the cape and everything, it stays stays in the bush.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: But like that mountain goat, you know, I had, I took all, all the meat that I could, you know, I picked that thing clean and, you know, when the coyotes and wolves go to pick at it, you know, they're going to be pretty disappointed, Yeah. but, uh, it's, you know, you're coming out with, like I said, 60, 70 pounds of meat, you know, the Cape weighs, you know, 30 pounds, 40 pounds, because yeah. the life size and it's wet, you're getting close to that 50 pound mark. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, a moose will take about three, three trips. Okay. And most of this, and it's funny because before I went guiding, there was a lot of things that I wouldn't do, you know, getting too far from the stock, packing stuff out. It's when I really committed to guiding is when I started to realize, well, you know, I don't have the urge to harvest a small animal anymore. So I'm, uh, I'm going to go harder to hunt bigger animals.
0: Gonna go farther and chase them. Yeah.
1: Go farther. Yeah. Hunt harder and go farther.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, I hear
1: you. You know, the guiding. The guiding really changed my life, and it's actually, it's actually pretty funny how how I got into guiding.
0: Yeah. How'd you get into guiding?
1: So, I was work. I got out of uh, out of high school. And I got into a job that was kind of, it was going nowhere. It was actually for an office, office furniture, wholesaler. I was thinking I was on my, like, I was on well, my first day of really working for them. And, uh, I did a little things around the warehouse for them, but I was first day of really working for them. And uh, I got put into a pretty good position because I worked so hard. And then, I was on a job with them delivering office furniture to Hmm. somewhere. And, uh, I got, I leave my phone in the truck, you know, no distractions. And, uh, I got back, grabbed my phone at lunchtime and I missed a call. And the voicemail was one of my buddies from my hometown. And he was calling me and he's a welder. And, He's like, hey man, there's this guy in my shop, and uh, he's an outfitter, and he guides for sheep and stuff. I don't know. He's not much of a hunter, this this guy. Yeah. He's like, he guides sheep and goats and stuff, and he said he's looking for a young young guy that he wants to, you know, train up and, you know, and have him be his right hand man. And huh. I was, I called him back and. You know, he, he started talking and I was like, are you still there? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, well, okay, go over to him and tell him I'm, I'll quit my job. And he goes, <laughs> didn't you just, didn't you just start? And I was like, tell him I will quit my job. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he went up and told him that I quit my job. And he, uh, he said, well, there's no reason to do that right now. There's still like five months till hunting season. So he, uh, he got me to stick at my job for a little while longer. And yeah. then he, he knew that I was into fishing. So he decided to book me a fishing trip, uh, guided, you know, me me to guide a fishing trip. Oh wow! So I uh, I asked my boss at the office furniture job, you know, been working hard for a couple months, and you know, I really proved myself to him and said, "Hey, do you mind if I take this week off it, to go to go on a fishing trip? Go guide a fishing trip?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure, no problem." Yeah. So. I just in case I brought a bunch of, uh, you know, hunting stuff, just in case I had to go backpacking or whatever. Didn't, didn't really know what I was getting into. Yeah. And, uh, I finished that fishing trip and that was in July. And I, I told my boss I wasn't coming back (laughs) and I ended up staying until December. Oh, wow.
0: (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, I started off guiding, um, did a bunch of fishing trips for them, and then they got me on horseback, which you know came second nature to me because I grew up around horses. Yeah. My uh, entire life didn't do a whole lot with them. hadn't had an ex girlfriend at, t- at a just before, and she she was really into horses, so I knew knew a lot about them. But uh, got on them, and I started uh, doing eco tours where we just took people into the mountains and just on camping trips. And, uh, you know, at that time, you know, get up early in the morning and go glass the valleys up in the Alpine and start finding deer and, you know, pretty much scouting for the season coming up. Yeah. So that turned into, I went on my first trip as a co-guide, we had it was a 2 on 2 so i i technically i had my own hunter okay and this other guy had had his own hunter but this valley that we went into i've spent 3 weeks up in there watching deer and looking over at it with the eco tours and uh i knew i knew the bucks that we were going to take i knew where they lived where they were going to come out and i'm not going to say that the other guy didn't know anything, but he was, (laughs) he was a lot less experienced. He was, he was fair too. He, he had his, his specialty and, you know, I love the guy to death. He's a really good friend of mine, but he, he wasn't made to, to be a a guy, a hunting guide. Yeah. Uh, And he he knows that now, but, uh, anyways, he, we went into this valley and we found a deer and we made a stalk on him, and we ended up getting down there and it wasn't the deer we were going to, uh, my hunter wanted, but it was the deer that the other hunter wanted. So he ended up taking that deer and it was a beautiful four by three, uh, mule deer, you know, probably scored 150, maybe, maybe 140, 45 yeah. or something like that. It was, it was a nice, nice mule deer. It wasn't overly large, but it was, it was a nice mule deer. And uh, we were looking for something a little a little more than that, so we packed him up, sent him back to the main cabin and uh the main lodge, and me and the other hunter stayed up there so now i'm on on my own with a hunter and a wrangler, yeah, and you know. <laughs> I'm telling I'm telling this guy yeah no I've been on I've been on lots of I've guided lots of hunters before totally (laughs) this is my my first time actually being under a a guide license guiding a hunter yeah and uh, we went into the back into the valley we spent a couple days and sure enough we see this this buck that I seen earlier in the season and uh, we sat there and waited for him to come out of this brush pile that he went and bedded up in and it's funny. He was uh, Swedish, and they they use a blau- these rifles called Blauser.
2: Okay.
1: Some people call call them blazer rifles. They're a straight pullback uh action, and they pack down really nicely. Yeah. But uh, you know, German and en- German engineered and stuff. And uh, this guy, he he wanted to. Sh- he was talking to my Wrangler about how the gun comes apart. Hmm. And while we're sitting there waiting for this gear to come to comes out, he decides to show the show my wrangler how easy the scope comes off and puts it back on and i'm sitting there freaking out because you know you take your scope off and you put it back on you're hoping to god that that thing's on on zero right yeah you know i checked zero before we left camp and that gun was on and now he takes the scope off hands it to the Wrangler, and then puts it back on i'm sitting there shitting while we're waiting for this beautiful deer to come out and uh Sure enough, he puts the scope back on, and we still had a decent shot. It was like three hundred and fifty yards. Yeah. The deer walks out, stands broadside, and uh, I noticed something was a little off about him. He was like, his, his antlers looked a little funny, his body looked a little funny. I was like, something looks different about this deer, but it was a it was a beautiful buck. So yeah, my uh, my hunter puts around through him, and you know, perfect behind the shoulder (laughs) hit the shoulder blade on the other side the 300 wind mag it, it didn't blow through it but it was caught in the hide on the other side yeah and uh deer went back to where it was bedded and i tracked it for a little bit that night couldn't find it so then we went back to camp came back the next day and went back and sure enough i found this deer and where we are in that part of the country is only a few miles not even not even a few miles and probably about a mile away from the the border where a black it's a either a blacktail or a mule deer yeah so I was looking at this deer and you know spun him around and sure enough it's it's a it's a hybrid it's oh. a, a mule deer cross with a, a Colombian blacktail jeez so you know' he's, he's got he's got the body of a he, he had partial body of a of a mule deer, but he also had the, the tail of a blacktail and he had the antlers of a blacktail, but a very, very large blacktail. Wow. Yeah, they were really, really compact, he had long tines and uh he was really dark horned. But, you know, he's he his tip he you showed a picture of the, the head of it and you're like, Yeah, that's a black tail but where he was, he lives with mule deer, so he was definitely a hybrid.
0: Dang, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, so from that, I guided a couple other hunts, a couple deer hunts, and uh, we ended up having the sheep guide. Uh, one of the sheep guides had to leave, so I got bumped over to go help help out on these uh, these sheep hunts, and if you didn't notice from my, my IG, sheep is my passion. Yeah. That's, it's in my blood. That's all I really think about every, every other animals, you know, yeah. second to a sheep. So I was giddy with the fact that I was going to be hunting them. And, uh, that whole season, we had a couple opportunities, you know, never the hunter missed a couple times. We got an archery hunter actually within, uh, was that? Yeah, that was that season. I got the archery hunter within 35 yards of, uh, of a beautiful full curl bighorn but he uh, stood in the middle of the 10 rams the band of rams and would never give us a shot dang that's rowdy so then that season came and went and uh, I picked up my first hound that year and I started thinking about you know I want to take this guiding to a whole another to the next level because you know, I loved it so much. Yeah. You know. I I was so above myself. I was like, this is one of what I want to do for the rest of my life. And uh I started thinking about what else I could hunt and I knew that there was a select few guys that would go down to Mexico and hunt uh mule deer and desert bighorn sheep and coos deer. And I was like, Well, my season in BC for bighorn ends in October. Yeah. And their season down in Mexico starts around November. And I was like, well, that, you know, November, December. So I was like, well, that would give me some time to hunt for myself too. Or, you know, book a deer hunter. Yeah. So there's only, only a handful of guys that actually guide down in Mexico. And I decided to message, you know, the top of the top, which is uh, the Lancaster family. I don't know if you've if you've heard of them, but yeah. they're they're like the family in guiding. You know, there's there's many of them, and they all have their their specialties. And I grew up watching their videos, so I decided to message Clay Clay Lancaster about guiding Mexico. I just wanted to know how to do it how do you get into it you know who to talk to yeah and clay you know never talked to him before he sent sends me his phone number and says you want to know about uh you want to know about guiding mexico call me huh. so you know i call i asked him when i could and i called him immediately after that and uh started asking me questions you know he he already heard about me at the time because i was 18 guiding those uh those sheep hunts and while they weren't successful, I had opportunities and he actually gave me quite a lecturing, you know, because I haven't harvested a sheep before, you know, I wanted to be a sheep guide and, uh, he gave me quite a lecturing on how, you know, nobody's going to take me serious because I didn't have any credentials to go with it. Yeah. You know, it kind of, kind of bummed me out and started asking personal questions, asking, you know, where I was from, you know, what I did for work you know, I told him I grew up on a farm, you know, I worked in construction job, mechanicing and, you know, he kind of, I guess he got kind of impressed by that. Yeah. Well, he ended on it pretty abruptly and well, I got to go. So he hangs up oh. so 30 minutes later, I get a text message from him saying, I think you're going to be a perfect fit up North. And which wasn't, you know, wasn't my intention when I, I called him, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't, I didn't intend to ask him about guiding in the northwest territories i just wanted to know about mexico yeah so we talked again he told me that the next season i wasn't going to be able to come up because he already had all his guides filled out so i went back and guided for the the bighorn bighorn sheep again and uh i ended up taking on the second to last hunt, the largest, well, my hunter did, took the, the largest California bighorn to ever come from his territory. Jeez. And it was, you know, what dreams were made of on yeah. the second to last day of this guy's hunt. We, I, I drag him up this this mountain after he got bucked off on his horse on day two, you know, broke a rib. Oh, my God. And uh, I drug him around the mountain for the rest of his hunt. Had a couple encounters with wolves, didn't see any other legal rams. And then second to last day, he has this giant ram at 500 yards and there was no chance of getting closer. The sun was fading and he put three beautiful shots into this, uh, into this sheep. And, uh, yeah, my dream of harvesting a sheep was fulfilled. I, I, the next day I was holding on to, you know, a, a dream ram, that, you know, everybody, you know, dream, literally dreams about, but never has the opportunity of seeing, especially in an area that is actually general open season. You can buy a tag as a resident and go up there and hunt that exact ram without any special tag. Wow. So it was it was a pretty, pretty amazing moment. And first thing I did when I got back to camp after that, I, I sent clay a photo of it and, you know, he congratulated me and, you know, acknowledged that, you know, he wants me to come up back up to the Northwest territories again.
2: Yeah. So
1: they kind of took off from there, did a couple more hunts. We got another, we got another sheep on the, on the last hunt, a eight year old three quarter curl. Jeez. And, uh, yeah, after that, it was kind of, all uphill from there it's it just keeps going up and up I I linked up with the Lancasters talked with them some more and uh next thing I know I'm I'm in their car in one of their vehicles driving to to the Northwest Territories
0: it's all about who you know
1: it's it's, it's about taking chances you know yeah. you don't you don't live if you don't take those chances and you know it you really have to go with your gut mm-hmm. there's the more times you're in the bush and you start using that instinct of something in your gut tells you to go check over here, or you know something in your gut tells you you know call this person or you know talk to this person, you start realizing your yourself know you know yourself better than <laughs> you thought. <Yeah>. And sure <laughs> enough, as as time goes on, I've been using my gut a lot more and it's been paying off. I, I, have been killing bigger animals and, you know, I've been finding, finding better places to hunt. And, you know, I would never have that opportunity with the Northwest territories if it wasn't for just deciding, you know, I got a message. The best of the best.
2: Yeah. Oh, and exactly.
1: Sure, now, now I'm guiding for them. I got to do, go on a couple caribou hunts, bunch of moose hunts and and uh, I got to guide my uh, my first doll sheep Wow up there so so I got a cal- California and a doll sheep under my belt for guiding you know there's there's only two more sheep that I need uh, and then I got my slam and yeah. I'm, I'm with I'm with the right guys to to do it so we'll
0: make that happen absolutely yeah
1: yeah the North Territory it doesn't happen this year. It sounds like we might be going on a stone sheep hunt on horseback, so that might happen. That would
0: be crazy. That yep. would be that would be something else. Now, where do you hunt it's, stone sheep at then?
1: Uh, northern border of uh, British Columbia. So okay. You can find them. I guess you can find them in the southern southern portions of the Yukon, and there's kind of some stone sheep in. Alaska, I guess. I, I don't know if there is right at the southern corner, but uh, I know in the Northwest Territories, we get a couple salt and pepper rams or fannin' rams, which are pretty much white sheep, but with a little bit of gray to them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully I'll be able to help out on a stone sheep, and then maybe, you know, if, if this whole COVID thing blows over by... This upcoming winter, I'll be in Mexico helping on a on a desert sheep.
2: Yeah,
0: I'm looking at the stone sheep right now. God, those things are beautiful.
1: They are, and uh, they're normally one of the most pricey for people to to hunt. So a lot of people get it out of the way the first time. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger than the the doll sheep. But they're they're gorgeous. They come in a wide variety of colors. I've seen them brown. Black, yeah. Um, like I said, almost completely white. If you're counting a fan and as a stone, yeah. And uh, they they can have real white heads on them, or you know, real gray heads. They're they're really beautiful, beautiful sheep.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I'm looking at all these different pictures of them, and it's just like there's a bunch of just different colors. Like you were saying, some are brown, some are like really black. Some of them are like, oh yeah blackish white some just have really white like heads on them and like god they're really cool
1: it's actually pretty cool the opportunities that we have in bc that you know you don't i would like to say it's the most opportunities to hunt species in north america because i think we have out of the 29 I think we have right around 20 of the North American big game animals in our, in BC, 19 or 20 of them. And, uh, we have a thing that we call the BC slam where you can hunt, you know, you know, there's the Turkey slam and the grand slam and all those different slams. But we have the BC slam and for sheep, it's the, uh, you can hunt a doll sheep right at the north, northernmost border of, uh, BC. And then just below that, you got the stones and then lower than that, you got California bighorn and you have Rocky mountain bighorn. So you have technically four different species of sheep all in one province. And then the only other, only other sheep that, you know, you need for your Grand Slam is a desert. Yeah,
0: that's, that's pretty awesome to be able to have that much hunting up there of just so many different species.
1: And it, it's pretty cool because you can hunt three, three of the four on over the counter tags.
0: That's really cool.
1: Yeah. It's, we have, we have an opportunity here unlike anywhere else.
0: Yeah. No kidding. Like that's, that's insane. Now over the counter for residents or can you, what's the deal with the non-residents for those sheep? How hard is it to get a tag for
2: them?
1: I'm not too sure on non-residents, but still, you know, residents of Canada. Yeah. I don't know if they, I'm pretty sure they can, they can probably come over and get a tag with an accompany license. Don't quote me on that. Cause I'm, I'm really not sure. But, uh, if you're, if you're a non-resident of Canada, the only way you can hunt big game in DC is to be guided. There's, there's nothing, no big game animals that you can hunt without a guide. So if you're coming up from the, the only thing that you can hunt is small game. And I think you can hunt waterfowl.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. That, yeah. You guys got quite the, quite the spot for hunting.
1: Yeah. It's, we have. And, you know, we have uh, Sitka blacktail deer, Columbia blacktail, mule deer, whitetail, you know. And then you get into the mountain animals, mountain caribou, doll sheep, stone sheep, California bighorn, Rocky Mountain bighorn, uh, mountain goats. We used to be able to hunt grizzlies. Uh, First Nations still can, but uh, the hunt is closed to residents now. It was a, a closure based solely on... Uh, emotions hmm. yeah, they actually brought it to vote, and if you think about it, the m- majority of the populace of British Columbia is in say Vancouver, yeah, and n- most of those people will never see a grizzly bear unless they're in a zoo or a wildlife park of some sort, and uh they think that they're endangered when really especially in the Northwest Territories we're getting charged once a week.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, we're 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 standing up standing down grizzlies every other day and then they're walking through a camp and even even here in Southern BC we're having grizzlies encroach on farmland because there's so many of them they're getting pushed more, south more south and out of the mountains and into farmland that there's so many grizzly bears. Jeez. But yeah, so that, that hunt was closed on solely feelings.
0: Yeah. That's, that sucks. Like you have people just that don't know any better and are never out, never out in the woods. Like
1: I, I don't understand how you can let somebody decide what happens in the wilderness when they don't live in the wilderness or ever go there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's beyond me
1: that's that's like me telling you you're catching too many walleye we need to close it
0: yeah exactly
1: well i've I've never caught a walleye (laughs) never have i seen a walleye but i think that they're endangered and you're not allowed to catch them
0: yeah (laughs) that's
1: that's exactly what it would be like
0: yeah it just doesn't make sense like it's there's no logic behind that no
1: No, it's not science-based and that's what we we really want a lot of our regulations will be based off of this science based management.
0: Yeah. And people that like experience it should be the ones that vote for it. And if they think it's good or bad for the population, not people that just sit in an office all day and then they're like, Oh, I want to go see a grizzly bear and then they go to the zoo with their kids and then that's it.
1: Well we have a really a really bad problem with this in B C is because there's an organization that has enough money behind it that they're actually buying outfits guiding outfits and saying that they're hunting in them when they're really not they have they have a zero percent success rate but as long as they're taking quote unquote hunts out, they can keep their guide territory and they just keep raising money and money and they're buying up all these guide territories on the coast to save these grizzly bears when really they're they're just they're just taking opportunities away from you know science-based hunting yeah so you know what their their immediate goal is to do is to buy all of the outfits in bc so that there's no more guiding that's really what it's going to come down to is that they're going to keep doing this until they have it all
0: yeah that's terrible that's
1: you know there's nothing nothing anybody can do because they you know they legally bought it and they're quote-unquote taking hunts out they're just unsuccessful yeah they're buying tags and they're just unsuccessful
0: Jeez, yeah that's that's not good is that is that happening in just bc or is that happening all over canada
1: I don't know if it's all over Canada. A lot of the other outfits won't really sell out because mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of the outfits that they're buying right now are pretty much just like the bear-oriented ones. Yeah, the grizzly bear ones, and you know they're they're sometimes on the cheaper end. But with the grizzly bear closure, you know most of these guys didn't have an option. they you know their 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 main source of income is gone. Yeah you know, what made their money is gone. So, you know, somebody comes and offers you a hefty sum for your territory. Well, you don't know who they are. You know, they're going to, you're, you're going to sell.
0: Yeah, exactly. You have no other choice. But, uh,
1: yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't agree with that style of regulation, but no, the cool, cool thing about the Northwest territories is how they manage their populations. It's actually up to the, the outfitter, how many animals they take
2: huh.
1: it's really it's really cool they don't have a limit they can if they wanted to ruin their their guide territory and take every sheep off the mountain that's legal they could but they know that the outfitters know best yeah. so they end the free reign and say hey you guys manage your territories yeah. and you know, it's pretty cool because the deal that they have on, we give most of the meat to the First Nations in the Northwest Territories. So you know we're harvesting twenty moose a year, and each moose on the foot weighs close to two thousand pounds.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So Just... here's here's the funny thing. Think you know a basketball hoop in in school, right? Yeah. You know a regulation size basketball hoop. The moose up there. Standing up, their nose is probably right around the rim of a bat of the basketball hoop of a standard basketball hoop. That's how tall they can Oh my god! Add add their their antlers on top of that, which can be enormous. Yeah. And uh, they have each backstrap can be on a mature moose can be ten feet long. Oh my god think about that 10 10 foot back straps oh. throw that on your trigger
0: Jeez, yeah that's that's a ton of
2: meat
1: yeah so you know no matter how many hunters and how many guides we have there's no chance that we could ever eat all that meat so we have 20 you know uh, 20 moose going through there yeah if, you know that's that's an approximation there's probably less but say there's 20 moose that go through at one time we had so much meat in camp they brought in an otter I think it was a twin otter uh, float plane and he unloaded I don't know 8 barrels of fuel and we gave him enough moose meat in quarters and back straps and whatever and sent it to Norman Wells the uh, First Nations community the city in, in Northwest Territories to the point that he almost couldn't take off
2: oh my god (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, he almost he almost did another lap to come back and drop off some meat, but he was able to get up, and once he was up, he was able to make it.
0: That's crazy.
1: Each hind quarter is like 250 pounds.
0: That's that's just unbelievable how much meat that is. Like yeah, that's that's a yeah, just mind-blowing.
1: The northwest chicken the Northwest Territories is doing it right. You know, having those agreements with the first nations to give them that much meat, you know, you're, you know, it, yes, it's their land. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while they, some first nations members don't like people being on their land, but when you're, you know, you're feeding them for an entire year, you know, if not years, yeah, they're, they're happier than a pig and shit.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, the First Nations, is that like... Because I'm not really familiar with the First Nations. So I don't... So
1: you, you can call, call them what what you want, but, you know, Indians, First Nations, that's what we call them up here, First okay. Nations. Okay. The, the first native people yeah. of British Columbia or Northwest Territories. Yeah. The, the indigenous.
0: Okay, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, because... I myself, I, I am part uh, First Nations. Okay. So I'm, my entire family's First Nations on the one side, but I, I don't look it at all. But so whenever <laughs> I tell somebody, like, really? Are yeah, you actually? <laughs> all my cousins, they all call me the the Windian.
0: The wind. <laughs>
1: the whitest thing you'll ever see.
0: That's awesome. Yeah.
1: But yeah, so how the northwest territories do it they they really they really got it down you know there's there's animals everywhere you fly over you're looking at herds of caribou you know they're not they're not the barren ground caribou where you're seeing the massive herds of like 200 to a thousand yeah these guys are in groups of five and ten sometimes two and uh they're a lot bigger than those barren ground caribou that's awesome it's about they're about the same size as a moose that I have in the southern part of BC.
0: Jeez, that's
1: yeah. And then, and then we have doll sheep, and you know, same thing. We we harvest the doll sheep, we eat what we can eat in camp, and then we uh, ship the rest out to the to the First Nations, and they sure love it. It's it's actually one of the best meat you would ever have in your life is uh, early season doll sheep, or actually any doll sheep. Really. Amazing. The The best meat I've ever had in my life is doll sheep backstrap.
0: Huh. I've never, never experienced doll sheep backstrap. I, I hope to oh, one day.
1: You got to You got to make it happen, man. It's a, uh, it's worth it. At least I think you guys can have some opportunities in uh, can do you guys have opportunities in Alaska to hunt doll sheep or is that just for residents of Alaska?
0: I am not for sure. I'm assuming they have a couple tags. Um, I'm assuming they have some.
1: But. I know for I know for a fact you, there's a there was a couple areas that you could hunt uh, uh moose moose and caribou. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you could hunt them, but yeah, yeah I know sheep might have been, but it might not have been. Maybe it was on draw or something.
0: Yeah, I I know moose and caribou you can, because I've had a couple buddies go up there and do that, but all sheep I'm not 100%. I I guess that they'd give some tags out just like they do out in Montana for bighorn rams and stuff like that cuz I know Montana it's like you have like takes about like 50 years to get a tag, I want to say. Yeah, so, yeah. So like I'm assuming it's kind of that type of deal where it's like if you've put in your entire life, you might get one but I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that would just be my guess from like experience of experiences of other States.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, the Northwest territory is a magical place. Um, it's pretty cool how the whole season starts. We actually start from driving in from the Yukon Yeah. on this really ragged road. And then, uh, we have a horse trailer loaded to the brim with plastic coats full of all the food that we're going to need for the entire three months out wow. there drinks, everything going going to Costco and buying all that stuff was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had <laughs> just carts and carts and cart stuff Oh yeah. And every, every, and they're looking at you as you're loading it into the trailer, and you—oh, you guys are ready for the apocalypse, eh?
2: <laughs> oh yeah.
1: This isn't—we, this you know, we we should have told them. Yeah, there's going to be a deadly disease that comes through and scares all you guys. You're going to be buying all the toilet paper in a couple months, but.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That's. But
1: yeah, no. It's, so we uh, bring them in on totes, and then we come to this little tiny little lake, just long enough to land a float plane on. And uh, we start from there. It takes two days to load all the equip- all the food and gear into the float planes and fly a couple guys into the Northwest Territories first. And yeah, they unload the float planes and camp, and then we load them back in the in the Yukon, and then we all end up getting into the Northwest Territories.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty fun to go just rip around Costco and just. Fill a horse, fill a horse trailer
2: up.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it was and it was it was to the brim. Like you, there was nothing more that you could fit in that horse trailer. It's like a thirty foot horse trailer too. Oh yeah,
0: just like a big gooseneck and yeah.
1: Oh yeah, and it was actually pretty funny because on the way up we had some vehicle problems, but I I don't know if you heard we had these uh these two guys that were going around the northern part of BC and they were actually on a bit of a, a, like a killing spree and they were taking out a couple of guys and it was, it was really crazy.
2: Oh geez. But,
1: so while we're, while we're broken down on the side of the road with no cell service, you know, there, there's a couple guns sitting there waiting because we're thinking we might be the next, uh, next pit stop for these guys to pull over. But yeah. at some point they actually did drive past us. There was no way they they could uh, get from where they were to where they went without passing us. Really? So, yeah, one at one time we did pass them.
0: That's crazy.
1: It was pretty it was a really crazy story because they actually started out on the news and radio and social media that these two kids, you know, in their 20s were actually the victims. They were saying that they're missing, you know, if you know if somebody sees them let us let us know. And then all of a sudden an old guy went missing and uh, I think a woman a uh, woman and another man went missing, and they slowly started piecing it together. They found one a person, you know, figured out that they were killed, and they found the old guy, and he was he was killed, and whatnot. And what ended up happening was it was these two kids that they first said that said they're missing. It was the two kids that did all the killing. So That's crazy. We were on we were on on the edge of our seats the entire way going going through the northern part of BC.
0: Oh, I can imagine. That would be that would be pretty scary to be uh be around that I'd have my I'd have my rifle in the front seat
1: yeah I'm, I'm like unlike <laughs> you guys down there we don't have self-defense laws so one of us probably would have been going to jail unless we unless they started shooting at us first
0: oh really what are
1: oh, st- we, they just banned AR15 in Canada for no reason
0: yeah I saw um, that
1: yeah uh, M14s, uh, different variants. They actually banned uh, Black Rifle Coffee Company, surprisingly. Yeah,
0: I heard about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my favorite coffee company got banned because my uh, prime minister didn't know what he was talking about.
0: Yeah, I, I saw that whole mess, and then they were like... I guess there was, like, a misunderstanding that they were going to take away, like, shotguns, too. And then everyone was in, like, a r- rustle about that. And I'm like, what is going on?
1: Like a, a misunderstanding, but they made a, a rule that anything with a bore over a certain size, which equated to a 12-gauge. Yeah. is because, you know, they didn't want large firearms, apparently. So I think it's, like, 19 millimeters, which is the equivalent of a 12-gauge. And the first shotgun besides the AR-15 variants that they banned was an Ivory Johnson single-shot mom-and-pop shotgun. Really? Think about that. The single-shot shotgun was the first one that they banned.
2: Oh, my God.
1: So we're, we're in that fight right now, but we're hoping as soon as Parliament opens up because he did that without going through the necessary steps. Yeah. So we're hoping that something, uh, a big lawsuit comes out because of it.
0: Oh, yeah, I'd hope because so.
1: Because o- overnight, you made most of Canada criminals,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah, big time, yeah. That's but yeah,
1: no. And then hand gu- handguns in Canada, uh, most they're restricted firearms, the only time you can use them, you can buy them. But they can't—they can't be like a, a pocket carry handgun. They have to be a longer barrel, and uh, they're allowed—they're allowed to go from your house to the gun range, from the gun range to your house, and you have to notify the local police that you're doing that. What? And if you—if yeah, oh yeah, you—that's the only time you're allowed to use them. Same as they're—that—that's the funny thing about AR-15s. They were the exact same. You could take them from your house to the gun range from the gun range to your house. And if you went off of that route, say you, on your way home from the gun range, you decided to go to Walmart, pick up some, you know, some groceries and one of the, you know, you got pulled over and an officer decides to check your vehicle and finds your air 15. And you said, well, well, I was just going to get groceries. And, uh, yeah, he, that, that's a criminal offense. You, you could go to jail for it.
0: That's terrible, dude. That is. Oh, yeah. That's terrible. Like, oh, my God. It is. I couldn't imagine. Yeah,
1: so, uh, it's, it's, it's unreal. And there was a couple AR-15 variants that were actually non-restricted, which means we could take them hunting. They weren't necessarily AR-15s, like perfect AR-15s, but they were uh, different mock-ups of them
0: yeah dang
2: that's
1: so uh that's that's where we're at with our our gun ban right now and yeah there's no concealed carry the only only concealed carry you can get you can get ask for a uh authorization to carry an AT ATC and uh they can they'll they just deny you unless that you have to have it for a job like you're transporting money for a bank
0: Dang. Dude. Yeah,
1: but...
0: I'm sorry to hear about that, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's rough. Like, I'm sorry to hear about that. Because that... Uh,
1: It's definitely rough. Oh, my God. You know, I'd I'd give everything to have an AR-15 to go whack coyotes, but uh, there's, there's no chance of that. Yeah. But, yeah, that pretty much, you know, after... After bringing the stuff in the Northwest Territories, you know, coming in on a float plane, everything takes off from there. And uh, you know, we had some pretty high-end clients come in. Couple TV shows shot there, and uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. We our main cabin's a giant grain silo. Oh wow! Yeah, so you'll. I don't know if you watch uh, the outdoors channel, but. uh give a shout out there to uh levi morgan david hauser there they uh they did a show for uh bow life and they came up and harvested a couple uh doll sheep with us and that's that's airing right now
0: wow um yeah that's that's really neat that's really neat so then do you guys for the coyotes are you just shooting 223s then or are those banned too
1: like, no, no. So there's there's no real calibers banned. Well, with the new ban, there is. There's a couple long range guns and African rifles that are that got banned. Okay. But uh, no, I shoot a I shoot a twenty two two fifty.
0: Yeah. Which is still a good yeah. coyote gun, but it's not like it's an AR. Not-
1: well, you know, I actually would prefer I prefer it over a semi-auto two twenty three. I got a lot of we have a lot of long distance shooting. You know, the farthest I've ever shot a coyote is over 800 yards. Oh So, yeah. so I like having that little bit more um, at distance, a little bit more speed.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. I for long distance, two to two fifties are like ideal. But if you're trying to shoot, um, like multiple rounds if it's a bolt action like you can pull it off but it's just not like it's just not like an ar if you're shooting them at like 50 yards or whatever it is but if you're shooting long distance i'd way rather pick a 2250 or a 223 bolt action like any day of the week
1: like my my greatest uh you know multi-kill of coyotes i got four in one in one go oh, they're geez. all running away all running away from me with a, a bolt action 223 uh 2250
0: just a freak with the 22250 then
1: i love that thing man it's uh, a <laughs> keep cheapest gun i own and that's uh, the most accurate gun i own yeah
0: oh they're awesome we uh we shot them out in um montana for coyotes and then shot shot a 223 for uh prairie dogs and then yeah it was just so much fun like, oh
1: they're 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 a blast man and they're they're fairly expensive inexpensive if you reload
0: yeah oh exactly it's not it's not terrible but like yeah it's just how it goes is the are like all the um ammo prices and stuff up there like more expensive
2: for you guys?
1: I think they're they're just more yeah, they're a little bit more expensive, but your guys' dollars also a lot better than ours is right now. I yeah. think one of our dollars is seventy five cents to you guys. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when I when I go and buy a box of shotgun shells, it's a it's a little bit on the pricey side, especially when you start getting into that three and three and a half inch range. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're shooting quality ammo and three and a half inch you could be looking close to 70 bucks a box
0: 70 bucks a
1: box a box what <laughs> like yeah, 25 like 25 rounds 25 25 rounds of three and a half inch say double b or t you could be looking close to 75 bucks if you're shooting a, a quality brand
0: oh my god that's insane
1: yeah it's pretty it's pretty rough <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's
0: that's insane
1: well, there's a lot there's a lot of the that just shoot Winchester white box because you can't afford anything else.
0: oh, I hear you man i we run through so many shells like I just shoot three inch out of mine, but I mean, I think it's like I usually buy the Winchester or Federal whatever is the cheapest, like when I buy it in bulk and I think it's like 11 12 bucks a box for three inch yeah and that's like the but cheapest yeah. i can find granite like i'm not i'm not <laughs> shooting any like fast steel or like anything like that just
1: and i was just gonna say it's when you get into the state the really good steels and stuff and you guys have to shoot steel for waterfowl right
2: yeah yeah
1: yeah we have to as well that actually only changed. It actually changed within my lifetime. That you used to be able to shoot lead. Really? But, uh, oh yeah, we used to be able to shoot lead for ducks and geese. I'm pretty sure that was within my lifetime. I've seen that change.
0: Huh. Dang. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then it definitely kills. It kills a lot faster. I know that. Talking to the old <laughs> boys, they it kills. It kills a lot faster. You get BB or two shot in a in a lead. Yeah. And you're whipping that. It, it crumples
0: them faster than steel ever will. Oh, yeah. We, uh, that's like for us pheasant hunting, dude. Like when we're hunting late season roosters and they are tough. Like if you're shooting steel, because you can, so for like public lands down here, you have to shoot all steel for pheasants. But if you're hunting,
1: even cropland, hun- hey? Mm-hmm.
0: But if you're hunting public, I mean if you're hunting private, you can shoot lead for upland. So, okay. Yeah. And so like I've I've hunted some public and I've hunted like quite a bit of private for pheasants. And the difference between the shells for like those late season roosters is unbelievable. Yeah. Like how quick they just crumple up and they don't like drop down and then start running off and then the dogs have to go chase him for another like hundred yards or whatever it is. Like, it's ridiculous. It's
1: funny. One of my, one of my hound dogs, uh, one of my cougar hounds there, she actually retrieves ducks. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's uh she's a, just a killer. Anything that I'm, <laughs> I'm going to kill she, she, she'll go after.
0: That's awesome.
1: But, uh, yeah, know when I'm hunting Chuckers, I couldn't imagine using steel just for how slow it is, Yeah. You know, trying to lead those fast birds. And most of the time I'm hunting them without dogs. So I'm flushing them myself. They'll flush sometimes a little bit farther because, or sometimes right on me. Oh yeah. But yeah, it's, it's fast shooting and I'm not tooting my own horn, but normally if the cubby's pretty big, I'll get half my limit yeah. right in the first cub. <laughs>
2: yeah, absolutely. But
1: that's, that's also because I know my gun, and that's I only have I only have one shotgun that I take upland hunting, and yeah. it's actually a really old one. It's a Winchester Model 50 made in
0: 1944.
1: Jeez, it, it was actually the world's first semi-automatic shotgun with a non-recoiling barrel. That's sick. So the Browning A5 came before that, which had a recoiling barrel, which moved the action, but this one didn't, which pretty much modernized all shotguns
0: from that we know now that's so cool yeah when we like when i've shot chuckers at game farms like around here because they'll do like um dog tournaments and stuff like that um in my hometown and they'll do like they place out like four chuckers or whatever it is and then whoever can get through the field quickest and shoot all four and like whoever gets the best time wins and i've done a couple of those and god those birds are fast
1: yeah we call them the red-legged devils because if you're hunting them on foot they just keep running forever
0: yeah oh exactly that's the same way with like pheasants when you're hunting corn
2: yeah,
1: yeah we don't we don't have too many pheasants here anymore we used to we used to have a, a good little population right in my little hometown but uh just down the way you can get into some pheasants and, uh, and California quail and uh, Hungarian partridge. Oh
2: wow. And
1: uh, I think that's it. You go a little bit more North, you get into sharp tailed grouse and yeah. uh, we have all the species of grouse. We have blue grouse, rough grouse, um, and then spruce grouse.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, dude, you got it set up up there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty cool because uh, in the winter when all the ponds freeze up, they all go to the main river. All the ducks go to the main river. Yeah. And, uh, we, we don't let the dogs go past, uh, two thirty. Okay. Just Cause the runs on cougars and cat, uh, different cats might take a little bit longer and we don't want to be chasing them in the dark. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, we'll just say, screw it and let them go anyways. But we'll normally pay for that where we can't shoot the cat because it's dark now. And yeah. you know, that's you not know, allowed to shoot a certain time after sunset, but yeah. at least we caught the cat. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so if we don't find any cat tracks we'll go home and throw the dogs in their pen and then head over to the head over to the farm and set up on the on the river and normally before sunset we'll have our limit of eight mallards each and all all greenheads.
0: That's awesome. Yeah.
1: Which, you know, doesn't sound doesn't sound like a lot, but if you talk to anybody else around our area, you know. This one duck a day for them is pretty good. Like
2: yeah.
0: they, they're pretty happy with one or two ducks
1: a day. Yeah. Oh, so exactly. we're not smashing limits. We're not happy. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Hey, well, um, we're going to have the two hour mark. So yeah. we had a great, we had a great talk, dude. I definitely want to have you on for another one. Cause we had, we had quite the discussion. I know we could, Go deep into more. So, oh,
1: there's lots more we can get into.
0: Yeah. So, I just would like to say, uh, thanks for hopping on. And we're going to have to, we're going to have to record another one here pretty soon.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, dude. And then, um, if you do any hunts that like people could get a hold of you for, like if you're doing something or anything that you want people to, like message you for hunts or anything. If you have like information that they could get to you on like your Instagram or whatever it is, or like fly fishing yeah. or whatever it is.
1: Yeah. We'll be having a, uh, actually it's in the works that we'll be having a, a new little guide service for stillwater fishing coming in the next, next season. So of 2021, that's, that's in the works. Perfect. Um, but yeah, if anyone wants to get in on a, on a hunt for 2021, 2022, I can definitely direct that and make it happen. Uh, just find me on Instagram at, uh, at Coyote Kid Outdoors.
0: Perfect. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah, dude. Appreciate it once again, and we'll talk soon.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. All
0: right, brother. We'll see ya. Bye. That wraps things up today for episode 12 of Cameron Coates. Great dude to get on talked about a lot of topics today and just started getting into things so you guys will definitely see another episode with him just because we covered things up in canada about the gun rights and the brown bear deal and all that kind of stuff and then you also have him trout fishing that deep of water is pretty pretty fun to hear about and then talks about his Billy got to experience all solo by himself and got a few more things to talk about on the next episode. So I, I hope you guys enjoyed it and, uh, stay safe.